0: Welcome to an all-new, one of the final off-season editions of the Three-Bid League Podcast. As always, I'm Tyler, joined by my co-host Matt, and we're joined by one of our best and most frequent guests today to talk about our list of the top 21 players for this upcoming A-10 basketball season. Tristan Freeman of Busting Brackets in the Field of 68 Daily. Tristan, thank you for joining us again.
1: Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on once again for the Epic Top 21
0: list. Yeah, this has been uh, four straight years now, three with you joining us. Unfortunately, the architect of this pod, uh, Stu Ledecky, not joining us today, but we'll have Stu on soon enough, don't you guys worry. Uh, We're going to have to press on without him, though, and it probably helps because there's not that many UMass guys that are candidates for this list, and we kind of didn't need Stu
2: skewing that. Yeah, I can't say I had a lot of UMass representation on my list. But before we get started, I'm just curious for your guys' perspective compared to how you've done it the last couple seasons. I I thought this was challenging, and I spent a lot of time just looking up stats. And one thing I thought in particular was interesting on Torvik, their version of kind of wins above replacement. And I think the acronym is something crazy points over replacement per adjustment game or whatever but only seven out of the top 20 players in that metric are back in the a10 this year not a whole lot of transfer transfer portal movement but just guys graduating or going to the NBA so I thought it was a challenging year I'm curious to see what you guys thought
1: yeah I, I- last year I think I was pretty confident with the first 12 or so I, I think there's like a, a clear divide this year like top four five ish. And I think part of the issue is that there was like elite scores on not so good teams versus quality impact players whose stats aren't going to be the same. So trying to see who who stacks up against who, especially when there's a few teams that might not get any selections, that that, that could be tough. But I think some of these teams might get three or four. And, and sort of hard to see, you know, in that kind of pecking order, who should be at the top and who sort of floats towards the bottom.
0: Yeah, I think as always, there's kind of this clear group of returning stars, but one of the things that complicates things this year is what do you do in the example of a James Bishop, someone that we know is going to put up really great stats again this year on a maybe not that good GW team versus someone like Day Grant. Like I can promise you right now, James Bishop is going to put up better numbers than Day this year, but... Grant's also going to be the best player on a better team. So that's where this gets kind of complicated.
2: Yeah. It, I think this year, too, just for me, with a lot of the good players out of the conference from last year, I felt like I went a lot more heavy in the transfer portal. And that makes it tough just because at least for Tyler and I, we haven't seen these guys play quite as much. Tristan, I know you follow more college basketball as a whole, so you might have some better insights, and you can tell me where I'm way off evaluating these players. But overall, I I do think the A-Ten did a pretty good job bringing guys in through the portal, and there should be some newcomers that make an immediate impact to start the season.
1: Well, to add to that point, there's a few guys from – higher conferences has sort of transferred down like a Woody Newton or or Darius Maddox, who could be good players, but I'm not sure how much how, how big stats they'll put up. And then there's guys from the lower levels. Uh say Bonaventure added, uh one of them sort of clicking off his name from uh, Brian.
2: Yep, Charles Pride. Charles Pride. don't worry I've got him coming up.
1: But he might be the sixth man on the team. And same with Mika Adams-Woods I mean he's a he's a guard that you could argue might be better than Cairo Luke but what is he going to do so so that's that's been more challenging because a lot of these transfers aren't necessarily coming in to put up huge stats except for say a Jaden House of Rhode Island but then again what are you going to do with him if you project that team to finish last
0: yeah and one of the things to keep in mind we had a similar talk last year and I think there's a little bit more returning talent last season. One of the biggest differences just being that VCUs had to remake their entire roster with transfers. But there were only four transfers who made the all-conference team last year. And one of them in Brandon Johns Jr., I think was a pretty big surprise to a lot of people. Now, there were a lot of guys who did it in their second year. Someone like a Darius Quisenberry, who took a big leap in his second season at Fordham, but it was just Grant. Johns, Daryl Banks, and Khalid Moore.
2: Yeah, I I feel like we could see about the same amount this year. I I wouldn't be surprised. And I I think we'll see that moving forward too in the A-10 and a lot of conferences just where guys find a new opportunity and get immediate eligibility. I I definitely on my list have five or six guys new to the conference that I I think could contend for an all-conference spot.
0: Yeah, I think I ended up with six, and then I actually left two transfers off as my first two guys to miss, because I felt like there was a decent line at uh 23, as
2: opposed to the 21 that we did.
1: All so, right, well, I think,
2: we, I think we're ready to get this started. Do we want to just begin? I, I think we usually go by about groups of five, but should we kick it off with that or just going with each of our number one overall player?
0: We normally kind of count it off at the beginning, but let's go one and two right now because I I think they're going to be incredibly similar, if not all the exact same. So Tristan, as our guest, uh, give us your top two guys.
1: All right. Well, I, I think number one was made fairly clear once the NBA draft decision came for, for Deron Holmes. I mean, probably if it wasn't for a spot when he would have been the player, he would have been player of the year and defensive player of the year. Just dominant big man. Can do anything he wants. He He's going to be the reason, assuming they get the preseason number one uh, spot, that why Dayton's going to be a team to beat. I don't think it, it's hard to argue that anyone should get ahead of him. And then I think ultimately it really starts at two. And it, it's, there's a lot of guards. I've fought this for hours. But I'm going to go with uh, Eric Reynolds uh, of St. Joe's. I think he's just a flat-out terrific scorer. Probably, if he really wanted to, could average 22-23 a game. He just has talented guards around him that sort of takes away from that. I think he's he's probably, even more than James Bishop, the best peer scorer. And considering that St. Joe's should be a double-by candidate, that he, he he warrants the number two spot. It's sort of my way of saying, hey, St. Joe's, this is your year because you simply
2: just have too much talent not to yeah I'm pretty much in agreement for me it was pretty simple that Duran Holmes and Eric Reynolds were the two best players in this conference and I don't think I really need to say anything else about Holmes he I think he was each of our number one overall picks last year too he was yeah not much has really changed he had a great season last year and it was just Ace Baldwin being the best player on by far the best team, getting him the Nottest Player of the Year. But for Eric Reynolds, he's the main reason why St. Joe's has so much buzz for this upcoming season. And I think what he did at the end of last season, just becoming an ultra-efficient, high-usage scorer, what he did to the Hawks last year, just some of the monster games he put up. I, I think Tristan's right that he is the best player like most talented offensive player in the league. And it'll be exciting to see what he can do and how that he's an upperclassman. It's kind of hard to believe with how well he played last year as just a sophomore.
0: Yeah, he was the easy number one. Like you said, he was everyone's number one last year. And by the way, Ace Baldwin on those ballots was second, 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 and fourth. So pretty close to the top with what were clearly the two best guys by the end of the season. I mean, last year I came in talking about Deron Holmes as a potential All-American, a guy who was going to run away with player of the year, and he actually didn't even meet those standards. Those are the standards that everyone is starting to put on him this season. I don't see why it should be any different. Even underperforming what I thought was going to happen, to me, he was still the best player in the league last year. But Ace Baldwin was also the best player on a just way better team and should have been the player of the year but Holmes was one last year the only way he's not one this year is either some shocking shocking regression or Eric Reynolds who is my number 2 as with you guys just simply turning himself into a, a bona fide no doubt nba draft pick that's the level that it's going to take to surpass Ron. and i think we do walk out of this with eric reynolds at least heading to an nba training camp next summer He's, he's the best all-around guard in this league, and last year I left him off my list because I hated the team that was around him. I didn't think he had the right point guard. I thought he was going to turn himself into a gunner, and he managed to learn how to play some really disciplined basketball last season, and now Lynn Greer has go, grown into that, that perfect point guard that he needs alongside him. It's a really good St. Joe's team. If he continues to play the way he did, the final three weeks of last year, then they have a chance.
2: All right. I think we can. Yeah. Good to see. We're all in agreement there. And like I said, those were the two easy picks for me after this, it got much more difficult. So for now, should I just go into my three through five picks and then we'll start going down by that. So Number three, I went with Daryl Banks of St. Bonaventure, feeling really confident that he's going to build on a high-scoring season with what I think will be a lot more help around him in the backcourt. Number four, Phil Lawson of Loyola Chicago. Didn't feel great about picking someone from the last-place team a year ago, but my main rationale for him, we always see guys making a big jump in their second year of Division One basketball after coming from a lower rank. And I think he surprised us all um, as a Division Two transfer last year, and he was clearly loyal as best player. And then fifth, uh, we talked about earlier a little bit, Day-Day Grant. I think he's going to be the best offensive player on what should be a, a really good Duquesne team that's got a ton of experience. And I think he'll build on another successful season when he made the jump from the Mac to the A-10.
0: Kristen, give uh, yours next, because I I wonder if it's similar here. And I'm so glad that Matt made one of the picks he did, because I'm ready for this argument, not even discussion. Yes. Yeah,
1: so three for me, I, I went with Day-Day Grant. Full disclosure, I do cover Duquesne uh, locally, the city of Pittsburgh. So but I, I would argue that considering it, Matt made the case with uh Alston being on last place team, Daley took a team that was literally last a year ago. And his 20 point per game production and non-conference, was sort of put Duquesne on the map against some solid and major teams, sort of set the tone for them having a much better than expected year. And not only is he a great scorer and a quality shooter, but he's a very underrated passer as well. I mean, even when when Tevin Brewer is out, he sort of took the 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 lead guard role very well. And, and I think he's someone that 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 could be in the A10 Player to the Year conversation because I could argue that Duquesne somehow finishes first and 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 pulls that big upset as a program. It's going to be hard not to give it to him because he's clearly their best player. So I have him three. Four, I, I went with the first transfer because I, I was trying to see what was I going to do with the VCU guys, but I got Max Shulga all the way at four, and, and I think while Steven Ashworth gets all the credit, rightfully so, as the star of the Aggies, but Shulga averaged almost five assists a game as well. He was a double-digit scorer, literally a do-it-all kind of guy, quality shooter, underrated defender as well, and I have a feeling that he's going to come in Especially now that Joe Bamisil is currently ineligible from the NCAA, that he's going to be the lead guard, star of VCU, who should be pretty good. So I have him at four, and then five, I went. I went with James. I went with uh, James Bishop because he's just he, he's just too good not to have in top five as a peer score. He single-handedly is going to have GW competitive now. Him and another guy that I might talk about later is it's going to come down to him because there's so many unknowns on rest roster, but Bishop he can go for 30 almost any given night. And even though he's, he's going to get all the attention, he's still going to score. On you. So I have him rounding out my top five.
0: So I'll rattle mine off real quick because they are shockingly close to yours, Tristan. Uh, I actually have Max Shulga at three. I did not think I'd see him in someone else's top five, but the guy was honorable mention all conference in the Mountain West. And let's make one thing very clear. The Mountain West was way better than the A-10 last year. Shulga is going to be an all-conference player in this league. It's just a matter of is he elite or is he maybe a guy who should be in the teens? And I'm glad that you mentioned Ashworth because Shulga put up big numbers from an assist perspective and scoring the basketball, despite clearly kind of being Ashworth's sidekick. And no offense to Jason Nelson. Nelson's not taking the volume from this guy. He is going to be the leader of a VCU team that I have in the top three right now. And Dayday Grant coming in at four for me is kind of a similar case. I don't think either of them are going to put up monster monster numbers, but I think their teams are going to be great. And Dayday Grant brings something incredibly critical to the deepest Duquesne roster maybe ever. He's the one guy that can just score at will. And he's going to have some gaudy shooting games, but they're going to need him to pull them out of some offensive slogs. They relied on him and Tevin Brewer to do that last year. Now Brewer's gone, and it's all going to fall on Grant's shoulders. My fifth guy, also James Bishop. He's going to put up, honestly, probably the best numbers in the conference. If we do a blind stat test at the end of the year, you'd think he's the player of the year. But I just... I think he goes a little bit back towards the guy we saw two seasons ago, as opposed to last year when he had Brendan Adams kind of shouldering the load with him. Maximus Edwards will be better. He'll be a decent sidekick, but Bishop's going to have a lot more responsibility on this team. And when James Bishop has a lot more responsibility, the efficiency starts to tick down a little bit, but he's also the reason why this is not one of the bottom teams in the league. So long as he plays this season. Now, where things get completely nuts here, Daryl Banks at three. My God, Daryl Banks, like, he showed us last year, Bonaventure, that he was exactly the guy that he was at St. Peter's. He's a heat check artist, and he's about the most elite of a heat check artist as you can have. He's someone who's going to win them a half dozen games. There's also going to be a two-week stretch in the middle of, like late January or into February this year where it feels like he's not even on the court. Go look at his game logs last season. Go look at him again when he was on the Peacocks. Like this is a dude who is maybe looking like the best player in the conference for a few nights out of the year. And is honestly just kind of useless in a few others. And so there's just a ceiling to his ranking. Like I I just don't see Daryl Banks being much more than the dude who was a third teamer last year. I put him squarely on the third team this year and maybe he surprises me and sneaks up the second, but I I, ju- I cannot see him challenging for player of the year.
2: Yeah, this is the pick I knew we were going to disagree on. And I know that you're not quite as high on the Bonnies this year. I've started talking myself into St. Bonaventure though. And it's early enough in the off season where my mind can be changed, but I also looked at the game log and I, chose to fit my narrative and pay attention to the big moments where he had five games with over 27 points last year. And really what it comes down to for me, I, I agree with you that he was a big heat check guy last year for better or worse for St. Bonaventure. And he probably did cost them a couple games with his bad shooting, but I think it just comes down to their transfer editions of Charles Pride and Mike Adams Woods. I don't think he had a ton of help in the backcourt last year. Kyrell Luke had a nice season as a sophomore, but he's not a big scorer. And I think a lot of times Banks did have to do it on his own, where I don't expect that to be quite as much the case next year. So a lot of that pick at number three for me is just putting my faith in that the Bonnies as a team will make a big jump bringing back a ton of guys i, I think it's going to be similar to the jump we saw between maybe not the extent of 2020 to 2021 when they won the league but i i do think it's going to be a much better team and we'll see them thick in the double buy race and I, I think banks is going to be the big reason for that i i feel like he is the best player on that team still
0: All right, if Tristan's got nothing to add on the Daryl Banks front, I'll keep it rolling here. Uh, Six through eight, just to kind of keep it in a nice little grouping. I took Ronald Polite at six. The guy's just building up towards superstardom now. He was, dare I say, better than Josh Aduro the last month of the season. We, We talked about it when we had him on a few months ago, and if you haven't heard that, go back and listen. Great interview with him. But he turned into a guy who can carry your team. And he's clearly George Mason's best player now. I think he's a huge all-around threat from the point guard position. He's going to be a 15, I don't know, 6 rebounds, four and a half, five assists guy. And I really like this George Mason team. I think they're going to challenge for a top-half spot, and it's going to be because of him. Number 7, I felt like I had to start getting more bold after that. The stars kind of disappeared. And I took a guy who I think is is ready to enter superstardom now, assuming that he can keep himself healthy this season, and that is Malachi Smith. Now that Tamani Kamara's gone, now that they got some actual shooters around him on the wing, it's kind of a team that's well set up for him to have an awesome year. It's just going to be four shooters around Duran Holmes for the large majority of the season, assuming that they can get some level of floor stretch from Santos or Patajimus, but he's just going to be able to distribute the ball around all season. I think he's going to lead the A-10 in assists this year. And he's a guy who started to show an ability to get to the hoop in the clutch. I think if Kamara wasn't there kind of adding more playmakers into the paint last year, we would have seen a jump in his scoring last season. But when he's healthy, he's an all-conference guy, and it's time for him to lead them up to the NCAA tournament this year. If he does that, he's a clear top 10 player. And then at eight, I think it's time to start getting kind of hot takey. And I'll take the man who was ridiculously left off of all-rookie last year, Will Richardson of Fordham. He's an all-around stud. He proved to us by the end of the season that he can do anything that the Rams ask him to. And without Quisenberry and Khalid Moore, they're going to have to ask him to score the ball this season. And even though he's a good defender, like he's playing alongside Kyle Rose and Entrell Charlton again. He's not going to be asked to do a ton on that side of the ball with two vet, two great veterans over there. I think he's going to be able to soak more energy into carrying the scoring load for the Rams this season. And you know what? He's I got a chance to talk to him last year. He's a humble kid. All of his teammates stay, stay the same. They love his work ethic. And it means something to me that Keith Ergo continues to complain about him being left off of All-Rookie. I heard that comment from from him in a spaces in September, six months after it happened. And what that tells me, that's Will Richardson's motivation for the season. I don't think he's a guy to just walk around complaining about missing out on, let's be honest, a a lower-tier accolade. I think he's reminding himself that people thought that Ben Schweiger and Mike Sharve jumps were better than him last year. And let's be honest, Mike Sharve jumps was not even close to as good as him last season. I think that's his fuel for this year. And I think he's going to be a stud to lead Fordham into the top half of the conference.
2: Yeah. I want to get into the Richardson tick a little bit because he was an interesting player through this exercise for me and going into it before looking at any stats and putting this together, I felt like I wanted to have him in my top 10 or top 15 somewhere. And eventually I did find a spot for him in the list, but it was tough for me to justify the higher I went up. And I think a big part of it too. So first of all, I will say, I am also talking myself into Fordham. I don't think last year is a fluke. And even if they do play a difficult schedule compared to to last year, I think it's going to be a solid team, especially defensively. They should be fantastic again. I just see it with the Rams, even though they're losing a great score in Quisenberry and an all around guy and more. I think it's still going to be a pretty well balanced attack. And I think Richardson is going to make a huge jump from his 6.6 points per game. I just don't know if anybody on Fordham is really going to break into the like 13, 14, 15. I I think it's going to be pretty spread out, which will make him not stand out quite as much, but they will need a good three point shooter. And that is what he will bring. Probably the only guy on the team you can count on to have a chance at shooting 40% from deep. So I'm excited to see what he does. I just don't know if anybody on that roster is really going to break out and fill up the stat sheet quite that much.
0: Yeah, and part of my argument for him is similar to the Grant and Shulga thing. I think Fordham's going to be good. I talked myself into them months ago. Like, I'm in. I think this team has probably, more, honestly, more talent overall than last year. Just don't have those top-of-the-line horses that they lost. But they're just like VCU and Duquesne. They're going to be really deep. And while maybe Richardson doesn't look like a top-10 player on the stat sheet, if he's their best guy if he's their leader he's going to deserve an honor up here in some way
2: all right Tristan are you ready to get into your six through eight players
1: yeah yeah let's do it so six uh I went with Philip Alston and he on on a loyal team that just had very little creation very basically next nothing that could get him going he pretty much created for himself and at times, he, he was incredibly good, especially when he can get the shotgun. The consistency for him was going to be important. And I think the hope is that with better uh, supporting players, that he could be a guy who could average 16 to 17 points per game. So I'm high on him. Seven, I thought I was being sneaky with this one, but but Tyler got to him first. Uh, healthy Malachi Smith is a top 10 player NBA 10. in the A-10. And in order for Dayton to win the league, you're going to need another top 10 power player. It can't just be Jeron Holmes because eventually all the other teams just going to double him to death. You need somebody like Malachi Smith who, when healthy, is a quality player. I was wondering how far everyone was going to bump him down after basically missing most of the year because even when he was on the court, he was fairly healthy, but he, he's talented. And then for this guy, I honestly did not know what to do with him. But his stats is just too good to, to not have him in the top 10s So the house. I went with Josh Cohen of UMass. I mean, I got a chance to see him live when uh St. Francis came to Robert Morris, and he was unstoppable. And the game plan for teams had, which is play him one-on-one, let him score. He had 40 twice last year against Lehigh and Hawaii, and just make sure that – and just stop the rest of his teammates because St. Francis had no guard play. Outside, outside of outside of landamore who, who who transferred to Butler but he's going to be difficult to stop and he he's he's a four he's not really a five there's not a ton of elite power forwards in the 810 that that can defensively stop him one on one so if you mass and their young guards and another forward who probably you guys will mention can, can get going when they're left open. The UMass could be a surprising team, but a guy who averages 22 points per game and is consistently a dominant post scorer, pretty much unstoppable. I, I had to find him in there in the top 10, even though I'm very concerned that he could be defensively exposed as slow. Well.
2: Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's interesting. You bring up Cohen, and I agree with you that like I just didn't know what to do with him. When you have someone so dominant in what ended up being the worst conference in college basketball last year, you always wonder how is that going to translate to the A ten. But I, I will say he does bring the one thing UMass desperately needed, which is someone who could finish at the rim. I mean, one of the worst two point shooting percentages in college basketball last year for the Minutemen. And he'll certainly improve that. Um but before getting into the rest of my picks, I just want to say I'm so relieved to hear Philip Olsen's name because I was starting to get nervous that I was way out of line putting him in the top five. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that someone else is supporting him. <laughs> I'll but, save um, my
0: Olsen thoughts for later, but Cohen, I just want to throw in here. He was a guy for me that I will mention later, but was really the big dropper between my original draft and my final list. And the biggest thing, like you mentioned, Matt, it's just the difference in competition. The NEC very well could have been the worst league in college basketball last year. And I think it's just kind of tough for a back-to-the-basket big guy to really be a huge force in the A-10, but he's also a perfect fit for what Frank Martin wants to do offensively. He's going to get his chances. That team is going to be built around him. And I expect him to be one of the best offensive players in this league, but I'm just not quite sure his ceiling is top 10.
2: Yeah. Although I think, I mean, it is something we've talked about too, how the A-10 doesn't have as many elite defensive centers as there used to be. I mean, other than Duran Holmes, Cyndilba, Duquesne guys I feel like there aren't a, a ton of obvious answers. to it. maybe Adelican on Loyola. So he'll be interesting to follow for sure. But Going into my six through eight, a few repeat names. Uh, Max Sholga at number six. think he's going to be great. Just what caught my attention at Utah State. Really good all-around player. Uh, top 25 in the Mountain West last year in. Assist rate, three-point percentage, and free throw rate. So kind of does it all offensively and staying with the same coach Ryan Odom. So he'll be a factor right away. Uh, seven, James Bishop, who... This was tough, and I I feel like all of us, honestly, are probably too low on the guy who led the conference in scoring and is one of just three, I believe, returning first team players. But I will tell you, I am getting the exact same vibes I had when we did this the first time in 2020 when Fats Russell was coming off his monster junior season at Rhode Island. And you could just kind of tell the next year the team wasn't going to be as good around him. And I'm getting those same bad feelings about GW where I just don't think Bishop's going to have that much support. And we've seen what's happened when he's playing on some bad teams and sometimes it can go south for him. But he did prove how talented he is last year. There shouldn't be any doubt about that. I just think the numbers are going to drop off a bit. And then number eight, This might come a little out of left field, but I I hate to say it too, and this is something I could change on before the season, but I do think year two for Archie Miller will be quite a bit better than last year. I don't see them finishing in the bottom two again, and at first, I wasn't that thrilled about the transfer, but I'm thinking Jaden House could have a really big impact as just a pure scorer for the Rhode Island Rams, and Last year, we saw Rody's offense was a complete disaster, but House had a really just high usage season at high point. He's used to having the ball in his hands, and I think that's something that Archie is going to need at Rody next year because it was just a team that lacked offensive talent, and I think he's going to change that. 13th highest usage in the nation, uh, averaged over 17 points a game, and so... Just feel like the Rams need a guy like that who's going to take charge and put some points on the board every night.
1: If you're if you're looking for a hopeful comparison, Duquesne went from they they got some nice names a couple of years ago for Dan Broad, and the chemistry and everything just went went to hell and they were awful. Last place last year's Rhode Island team they had several top one hundred players so some nice names, none of them worked out. It all, mm-hmm. all of them. All the messed up outside of Leggett, and he's gone too. This year, you know, you say that you don't love the the names, but that's kind of okay. These are major transfers that produce at the previous stops. Like saying like Day Day Grant was a producer in Miami of Ohio, comes to and leads them up the ladder. I think there's a chance that Jayden House could do the same thing for Rhode Island in, in a team that I think hopefully will have more chemistry than a year ago. And, and could be more well-rounded, so I think just because of the lack of a known, people are going to have the Rams lower. But I I, I don't hate the Jaden House pick at all because I think he's just going to be good at what he he does and score, and he could be that lead option for them that could make them you know a, a sneaky feisty team for some time.
2: Yeah, it's a gamble for Rhode Island just because they are heavily heavily dependent on transfers, but and we saw what happened last year where. They had two stud transfers. One got kicked off the team and one never played in a game. And it kind of ended before the season began. So yeah, this year, not as high profile of guys. You're not seeing those top 100 recruits or high major players, but it really just comes down to confidence in what Archie Miller has done in the eight hun. And I just have the sneaking feeling that they're not going to suck two years in a row. So we'll see what happens. And it could be someone else too. I, I think Rhodey has some other guys. Like, I mean, Lewis right? coming from Quinnipiac, it seems like they finally have a legit point guard this year. So maybe he'll be a factor as well.
0: To me, I just think House is a huge Ryan Daly candidate. Guy who will come in, put up big numbers. maybe, Maybe won't get great respect because he's not a name that people know going into the season. But outside of him, Archie and Brandon Weston, there's just not that much that I like about the Rhode Island roster. And I think he's just going to end up getting buried. That's why I ended up leaving him off of my list. But James Bishop, I just want to take it back to a comment you made, which is we might be too low. I don't know. We went into last year, he was not ranked 20th, not ranked, and 20th. Now, he's definitely going to be better than that because what we didn't realize was that Chris Caputo was the right coach for him. And Caputo's going to keep him at an elite level, but it was the roster around him that made so much of a difference. And like, I think we could get burned, but the idea of him being seventh this year, is just not crazy to me in any way.
2: No, it's not. And I mean, like you said, it's way higher than any of us picked him last year. So we'll see what happens. And I've gone to bat for him too. I I feel like every other year I've been way too high on Bishop and, this is the year where I'm not feeling as confident, but mostly it just comes down to George Washington and they lost so much. I mean, just about their entire rotation outside of Bishop and Maximus Edwards. So maybe it's something where by the end of the season or mid season, they get things rolling and Bishop's able to lead this team to another middle of the pack finish or even better. But I do think it's going to take some time and patience.
0: All right, Tristan, you want to keep us going with
1: nine, 10, 11 Nine, I'm going to go with Daryl Banks. I think a 15-point score off of a, a fairly solid Bonnie's team. and Yeah, he, he can be hot at cold, but I, I'll take the ceiling for Banks over most of these other guys. Ten, the went with Ronald Polite, I, I think yeah, he has a chance to be not only Georgetown's best player, but a, a sneaky uh, first or second team guy. He's a really good score, and obviously listened to his interview of you guys from a few weeks ago. Very well done. I, I think he'll, he'll be someone that the that, uh, Patriots are going to have to rely on a lot this year. And then for 11, I am curious if you guys even have him on the list. This might be out of left field, but I would with Glenn uh, Lynn Greer. And when St. Joe's was playing at its best during that five or six-game winning streak, Greer was just as good, if not even better, than Reynolds. Because he was a borderline triple-double threat most of the time. He is a, he, a good passer, and he's someone who had the, the pedigree out of high school that could be a star. So him showing what he did the second half of the year wasn't a complete shock, but he's going to have to do that all season around for them to, to be a contender in the A-10, and, and I don't think it, it, it's out of the world for St. Joe's to have two top-ten caliber players, and I think if, if Greer, uh, sorry, Greer plays at his, his peak then the Hawks can have a chance just to get uh, just about against anyone.
0: Lynn Greer on my list, lower, but on my list.
2: Yeah, he was for me too. He's uh, yeah, I have some more thoughts on him when I get to him, but interesting season for him last year and overall too. I feel like a lot of people would say St. Joe's is the best backcourt in the conference. So should be big things for him and Reynolds. But uh, I'll, I'll go into my 9-10-11 overall pretty similar to what we've had. Uh, I'm a little surprised by this one, actually. 9, I'm the first person to mention Gibson Jimerson's name. But... Yeah, I also have him at 9. Okay. I, I think he's going to have a great season still. He's shown for about seven or eight or nine years, however long. He's been a, a good scorer at St. Louis for a long time. I am curious, though, just because Yuri Collins... I mean, he made everybody look good, but he really made Gibson Jimerson look good, feeding him the ball constantly in transition and getting him open threes. I just wonder how well he's going to play without the leading assist man in the country next to him, uh, Ronald Polite at number ten, who we just mentioned, and then Malachi Smith at eleven. Which for Malachi, I'm actually kind of surprised that I was the lowest on him, because given his numbers from last year, it's honestly a bit of a stretch putting him in the top 11 I think but like you guys both hit on already it comes down to his health and he was never really healthy at any point last year but the one stat I did take away despite not playing at 100% and the A10 website wouldn't tell you this because apparently he didn't play enough minutes to qualify but if he did qualify, he would have led the league in assist to turnover ratio, and that is with putting up over 100 assists last year. So agree with what you said, Tyler. He's got a chance to lead the, the conference and assists, might come down to and not playing fast enough for that to happen, but if he is able to stay on the court for every game of the season, then it will be fun to watch what his ceiling could be.
0: All right. So I also had Gibson Jimerson at nine. I just, I can't get it out of my head that non-conference season two years ago when Perkins was out and he was such a lethal, like off the bounce score, not just a catch and shoot guy. And we saw flashes of it come back in, conf- in conference play last year. And, I just think we'll see a lot more of that. I think he's a guy who can be their top option. In terms of getting those catch-and-shoot looks, them getting a competent veteran transfer point guard, Mike Meadows, late in the summer, really helps this ranking. Mm -hmm. You just have a guy who can steady the ship, and the biggest thing for me is I really, really like Larry Hughes Jr., Like to the point that he was on my 50-ish like original draft list for this. I still don't understand how the hell he was a walk on last year. It makes no sense to me, but I think St. Louis is going to be at least decent from the point guard position this year. And then my next two, two names that have not been said yet. At number 10, I'll take Max Shulga's traveling companion here, Sean Berstow, who I will call Cameron like nine times this year because that's his brother who was in the NBA a few years ago a versatile kind of all over the court forward. He'll be a kind of a super skinny four in this league, but a guy who shot 39% from deep last year on decent volume, 10 point a game scorer, a good rebounder, despite the uh, skinniness of his frame. And for those who don't know, he's 6'8, 190. I just, I think he's the second best guy on a really good VCU team. I think he'll be more of an offensive weapon now than he was at Utah state without guys like Ashworth and Taylor Funk next to him, I I think he is going to be the Rams' number two guy and someone who should just kind of be a really tough guard in the A-10. I kind of think of all the forwards in this league. I'm not sure who's well-positioned to actually stop him. And then number 11, because I have never sold my stock, even though, let's be honest, he stunk last year but Loyola has the right roster for Braden Norris again this year. This was a third-team all-conference guy in the Missouri Valley on their last good team, and his numbers were brutally bad last year. He's not a star, plain and simple. We wondered that aloud last summer, and he's just not. And on a team that stunk, like just having an awesome distributor really doesn't mean anything. I think this Loyola roster is significantly better I look at bringing in guys like Adela Kuhn and Des Watson, guys who fit what Loyola wants to do. They managed to grab some shooters like Greg Dolan late in the off season. And I think Norris is still the engine of that team. You put some Sterling silver quality cogs around him after last year's just like bucket of rust that they pulled out of some ocean somewhere. I think he goes back to being an awesome leader for them. And also, if you're watching real intently throughout conference play last year, teams were just pummeling him. Duquesne and Dayton did it the worst of all, but like in those games, he would have had to pull up from the half court logo to get a shot off. Teams realized how valuable he was to giving that crappy offense any hope, and we're just taking him out. sending bigger guys at him, constantly sending double teams. That's not going to be able to happen this year. He's gonna have the freedom that he had as a younger player two, three years ago. And he's going to get back to being an all-conference-level guy.
2: I, really, I thought that was going to be TJ Weeks when you said you didn't sell your stock, and I was pretty sure he wasn't in the a I can't believe
0: TJ Weeks never turned out. God, I'm wrong about that.
2: I was having doubts for a second that he actually transferred when he started that one.
0: TJ Weeks will probably light up the Metro this year, though.
2: Yeah, isn't he at, like, Ryder or something? He's either at Ryder or Fairfield. For yeah, one, one of those.
1: <laughs> yeah, this was just tricky with with Norris because the Missouri Valley didn't have the the defenders that the, the A10 did. Specifically, with, with Trey Clark and Kyle Rose and all of the top uh, perimeter defenders are essentially back. Like it, it, if if the scout reports to make his life hell and to bait and to force turnovers. Yeah, you'll have Greg Dolan, you'll have other guys around them, but I wonder the same way that we believe that the Max Julgas of the world will will be able to transition easier. We saw that the transition last year was awful for more. So I, I'm 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 kind of out. I, I I had he just couldn't make the list. I had other transfers that I wanted to give a shot. Like he's going to have to show that he can't get easily bullied. And just because you have some better shooters around. You does not mean that that ball is going to give up half court any easier for you against some of these some some of these elite guards.
0: I just think there was also a big element of Loyola base of sorry teams playing Loyola basically deciding like, hey uh, Sheldon Edwards just go beat us, Bryce Golden we're going to let you get the ball near the hoop go score, and there were just too many guys on this team that just couldn't do that, and that's how you ended up in these games where Norris was getting smothered. And you just make sure Ben Schweiger doesn't get open in the corner. And then all of a sudden, the only way that they could do anything competent was Philip Alston winning one-on-one matchups.
2: That was it. Yeah. I, I don't know about Norris. I, I think he could definitely get there. And I think all of us had him in the top 21 last year. And I mean, he's another year older, nothing really changed except for he should have more talent around him. But that's kind of what we said last year. We thought Loyola was going to be pretty good. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I I think part of it for me too, I didn't have him on my list, but just not following him as closely in the Missouri Valley, I've never gotten to appreciate his game and his team when they've been good. So hopefully for him, this year's different, but so I'll I, get in.
0: Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to keep it rolling here just because we're on the topic of Loyola. I have Philip Olsen at 12. Okay. Um, I just, I don't see, like, the huge jump coming. And maybe this is still a little bit of bias of the fact that he came all the way from a lower division. Although, for those who are wondering, like, Cal U of Pennsylvania might actually just be a better program than the Cal Golden Bears at this point. But I just think that what Alston did last year from a numbers perspective was the burden of the best guy on a crap roster. And in the way that I think all these good players around them is going to help Norris. I think it actually makes Philip Alston a more efficient, less big numbers guy. He still should be an all-conference player this season. I'm not sure he really has to get any better to do that with the better talent around him, but I I was a little thrown off to see both of you guys throw him in the top 10. 13, another guy that you've both already mentioned, Daryl Banks. I gave my spiel earlier. Like, this is about the ceiling for just a stud heat check guy. And then two new names here, although one did just get mentioned in passing. Trey Clark at 14. Duquesne is going to have to rely heavily on the two wings, while a guy like Trey Williams, who would have been a candidate for this list, just probably won't get enough minutes with a ton of quality bigs on that team. But I think Trey Clark, with Ace Baldwin gone, now joins deron holmes in the debate for best defensive player in this league and if he can be the good three-point shooter that he was in the second half of last year and not the guy who you cringed every time he touched the ball out there in december then he's an all-conference player and then 15 a guy that i don't think we're going to hear from either you two maybe i'm wrong but i'm going with the new best player on the davidson wildcats their point guard not the villanova transfer But the man coming back, Grant Huffman, look at every stat from last year. He was as good, if not better, than Foster Lawyer in conference play last year. And Foster Lawyer was an all-conference guy. I think Huffman is going to take the reins of this team. It is going to be his squad. And every time one of the McKillops, whether it be Bob or Matt, has asked him to do more, to take a bigger role, he has exceeded expectations in that spot. And I think he's going to be a guy who can lead the Wildcats this season.
2: All right, I'd like to chime in on Huffman because I had some thoughts on Davidson toward the very end of my list. I've He's kind of tough for me to figure out putting together this list of guys. I've been a fan of his ever since he joined the Aton. I think he's done a great job filling his role for Davidson, but that whole time he's been either like a sixth man or the fifth guy in the starting lineup, not expected to shoot the ball. And I just don't know how that's going to work if he's supposed to be Davidson's best player. And in general, too, I'll just say I don't like Davidson's roster very much. I think they lose use a ton from a team that faced adversity. I mean, they had the hardest schedule. They weren't healthy all the time last year with Foster Lawyer missing some games. But I just, I don't know, I think he's going to, be kind of what he has been as a solid defender on the perimeter. He'll get a lot of assists, like you said, Tyler. But I I just don't know if I ever see him ascending into that superstardom. I think he'll continue to just be a really good role guy on a team that might need some more than that. So I'm just not sure how that's going to work for the Wildcats next year.
0: Well, to jump in here real quick, I genuinely think he was their second best player down the stretch last year. And the one caveat I do need to throw in, he has to shoot better from deep. He ended up being 27% last year because he was so bad from that perspective early in the season. But if he can get to 36, 37%, I think he can handle that burden.
2: Yeah, that's just another thing too with Davidson. I mean, it's a team that relies on shooting. And last year when they couldn't shoot, it got really tough for them to win games and Maybe this is the year for Huffman, but just over the course of his career, we've never seen him as a very effective three-point shooter, although he does a lot of other things well. So definitely could have a good season. But I'll, I'll keep it rolling with my 12 through 15. A uh, couple brand new guys. And starting out at number 12, I would be surprised if anybody has him. And seems like a transfer that nobody's talked about. But digging into his game a little more, I'm, I'm optimistic. I have Jafet Medor of the Fordham Rams transferring from UTSA um, honorable mention in conference USA last year, which by the way, was better than the A-10, believe it or not. And I think he is going to be the playmaker for the Rams that they desperately need losing Darius Quisenberry. And that's actually why I had Will Richardson a lot lower than you, Tyler. I think the is actually as a grad transfer senior. I think he's going to take over a lot of that. Scoring responsibility, uh, Charles Pride for St. Bonaventure at thirteen, kind of reminds me of what Jalen Adaway brought to St. Bonaventure a few years ago as an undersized six four wing, but averaged six rebounds a game and you know fourteen points, really good three point shooter. I think he's just going to be a solid all around player and be a great complementary piece next to Daryl Banks. Uh, fourteen Wendigier the third, who you mentioned Tristan. And really what it comes down to for me is what he did in the second half of last season. And I feel like you can't even just look at his stats as a whole, because the first half of the year in the non-conference, he was just flat out bad, not producing at all. But by the end of the year, he developed a three-point shot. He was a triple nickel machine. And him and Reynolds will be very fun to watch at St. Joe's. And then 15, uh, Tyler, you had him, but Sean Beristow of VCU transferring from Utah State. Um, you pretty much already hit on him, but just a good all-around player should be a difficult matchup at his size in the a Yeah,
1: I can already tell Fordham is going to be one of the most interesting teams to watch because based on what you guys have, all three of us have a different projected lead guard for the Rams because the guy who I picked for him isn't one of them. He's coming up later. But the 12, I had Gibson Jimerson, and I think, I'm lower maybe because I'm such a past Yuri Collins fan. <laughs> I give all of uh, uh credit to him because he he gave him the ball perfectly. And Mike Meadows isn't at that level. My concern is even though his release might be the quickest in all the country, if teams just hound him purposely and just make anyone but him beat them, how how many shots is he going to get in the game? Can he be a lead option for St. Saint- for St. Louis and losing Javante Parker also takes the pressure off him because he, cause he truly is now going to be the top focal point on the offense. So I, I'm curious to see what happens with him, but he'll find a way to still shoot around 40% from deep and caught and have one of those games where he'll make seven or eight threes. Uh, 13. I have Trey Clark. I, I think he is one of the three best defenders in, in the a 10 and he literally can wreak havoc. I mean, his performance, his revenge game against VCU was one of the most dominant individual efforts I've seen in a while. And it, it'll be funny because you can make the argument how can VCU win the league if they can't beat Duquesne? Because Trey Clark's going to drop 30 on them both games. Like that—that's that's, that's going to be something to watch. But if he can be consistent, particularly with his shot selection, because at times, you know, Clark can just go wild and just take a lot of really bat shots because he feels like he's in rhythm. But Coach Jambra has said many times that he he lets them be who he is because cause you have to take the highs and the lows. If he can just be a little more consistent with that, then I think the sky's the limit for him. And then 14, I'm surprised no one's mentioned him yet, but I have Khalil uh Brantley from from LaSalle. Somebody from LaSalle is gonna score. I mean they don't they don't have Nickelberry. They don't have the Drame brothers. It's going to be him and Jameer Brickett's. And he's going to get 20 shots a game. I wouldn't be surprised if Brantley, who already averaged uh, 14, 5, and 4, gets to around 18, 19, and 5, and 6 assists a game. And we're sort of talking about him the same way we talk about James Bishop just being an elite stat stuffer. He's a really good player. And I think considering that none of us will put Lord, uh, LaSalle last just out of respect for that coach, he's going, to be the, he's going to be the reason why they somehow sneak a few wins in there.
2: Yeah, I, I actually I have Brantley coming up really soon on my list. And I, I think he made some good points. As much as we all love Fran Dunphy and acknowledge the great job he did, Masal doesn't win seven conference games with no talent at all. And I think Brantley was pretty clearly the best player for the Explorers. And kind of hard for me to believe. I didn't realize he was only a sophomore last year. Seems like he's been there for a while. So agree with you that he could make a huge jump.
0: Yeah, if I didn't like to make hot takes with my last spot, Khalil Brantley would be my 21st guy. He ends up being the first cut for me. So, sorry to LaSalle fans, but hey, you got a new arena today. So, yeah. uh, Tristan, who's your 15th?
1: 15th, um, I'm the last to name him, Sean Bear still I, I, Really good. He was third guard for Utah State, but he probably would have been the second guard for almost all and most of the other 8-10 teams last year. So, He's gonna be fairly impactful. Sixteen, I'm I'm good with Matt Cross because he just has he he had he's one of the most talented players and talent has never been his issue. It, it's always been other stuff. But from what I've heard, that he was actually the least of the problems with the Minutemen last year, and he was one of the few guys to stay. And I think he and Co- Cohen is gonna be a quality offensive front court because he can space the floor and he's a great offensive talent. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if UMass offensively is dominant down there. But, again, we'll see how Cross can defend down low. And then 17, I, this was, I think, because I wanted to be consistent with how I feel about GW. I, I went with Maximus Edwards. I think he's someone could that could have a legit breakout campaign. He, he's, right. a, he's a very nice talent. He was pretty good last year all on his own. I think he's someone that we could see an uptick in production and it's Dirk going to need someone outside of Bishop. And he's basically the only proven guy that you can see on the roster that can do it. So had to put him in there.
0: All right. I'll jump into my next five before our last picks. And I will note, I'm surprised. I thought one of you guys was going to go real big with Maximus Edwards. Throw him like top fifteen, maybe maybe even top ten. I mean, he was the rookie of the year last year. But he's coming up for me. It's sixteen. This is where I'm not fully sure in how to how much to believe in Saint Bonaventure because I don't trust the idea that they're going to be a great team if Charles Pride and Daryl Banks are far and away their two best players. But what if that's just not true? Because their most important player is Jan Farrell. And I'm throwing him in at 16. Maybe the best all-around forward in the league now with Tamani Camaragón, He's a guy who's going to rebound for you. He's a a shockingly, extremely solid three-point shooter. On decent volume last year, he was able to hang around the 40% mark. That should only get better. Now he needs to become a better slasher needs to find his way to the rim. He was only shooting 1.2 free throws a game last year. Once he can add that to his game, he'll be a clear double digit scorer. I think he fills a really important spot on the Bonaventure roster that they really have no other equivalent. It's all a bunch of scoring guards, a pair of point guards and Chad Venning. And I forget who it was. Some national guy had, bon- had Farrell not even starting for St. Bonaventure. I think that's absolutely ludicrous. If Jan Farrell is not good enough to start for Bonaventure, I will tell you right now that they will be awful this year. They need a huge season from him just because they don't have another option to go to unless Barry Evans takes a huge jump. 17, I kind of can't believe I'm the last one to say Lynn Greer. I thought that this might be a hot take putting him on the list at all, but he's the perfect compliment to Reynolds. As I mentioned earlier, a great ball mover, a guy who can take the tougher defensive assignment from him. And I think that those are St. Joe's rocks. Those are the reason that they're going to jump into the top half this year. And what happens with the front court will dictate whether or not they can be a great team. But if we just took the last month of the year, Lynn Greer was a borderline top 10 guy in the conference. It just took him a little while to adjust to that team and to grow into his role. 18. I have another transfer, Darius Maddox coming in from Virginia tech, a just a really solid Swiss army knife guy for the Hokies, a guy who could handle tough defensive assignments. He was a a streaky shooter, had some good years there. uh, Some not so good, decent ball mover from a wing spot. And, Just a guy, he reminds me of Deshaun Schwartz. He kind of filled the same role for Virginia Tech as Schwartz did for Colorado. And we saw him come into this league, become a bigger time scorer and an above average defender. And I think Darius Maddox can carry that down from the ACC. 19, Tristan just mentioned him. Maximus Edwards coming off of his rookie year campaign should take over kind of that Brendan Adams role as just the clear deputy to james Bishop's sheriff in that offense it's going to get a chance to really move the ball take a lot of shots for them and then 20 another guy we've mentioned and talked about in full earlier josh cohen he'll be the focal point of the umass offense we'll see if, if he can translate from the nec up to the a10 or not
2: all right I'll I'll go ahead and finish out my list. So starting out at 16, I had Khalil Brantley that Tristan talked about earlier and I'm in agreement with him. I think he'll have a jump and keep LaSalle out of the basement. Uh, 17th, Maximus Edwards. I still don't feel great about GW, but I think you have to have the reigning rookie of the year on your list. and I, I do think it's impressive what he did as a redshirt freshman last year, playing with a group of seniors and just overall an old team he held his own was a very important factor 18 i had matt cross as my umass representative and wasn't sure how to rank him because at his best matt cross is a borderline first team guy but i just wonder how often he can reach that level throughout the season but i will say umass played a lot better when he was on the court producing and him and Cohen should be a very solid front court. They're just going to need a lot of help from the guards getting them the ball. Uh, 19. I'm a little bit surprised. No one's mentioned him, although part of it might just have to do with how their season ended last year. But Neil Quinn from Richmond, I think his second year in the Princeton offense should do him well. Uh, third in the eight ten and assist rate last year. Which is kind of hard to believe, just since Richmond seemed to lack the flow that it had in the prior years with Jacob Gilliard, Grant Golden, and that group. But I think he'll he'll improve in his second year with the Spiders. And then number 20, Will Richardson had to find a spot for him on the list, couldn't go quite as bold as Tyler, but I do think he is one of the best breakout players to watch in the A-10 this year. And will need to help along with Medor, who I mentioned earlier, he's gonna have to help fill that scoring void for Fordham.
1: Well, my final my final three, 18 went with Darius Maddox. He he was basically the fourth no, no, he was the fifth option at Virginia Tech because you had uh Hunter Cador, Sean Fedor, the sharpshooting backcourt. Justin Mutz, who was to do it all forward, and Grant Vasili, who was one of the top mid-major transfers in the country, averaged 20 a game. Maddox put up pretty decent numbers for the fourth or fifth option, and if you can bring a, a solid starter from the A-10, from the ACC down to the A 10 I thought that was a, a sneaky good pickup for George Mason. I think he's going to be a really good player for them. 19, he hasn't been mentioned yet, but I'm going with uh, Dame Delacoon from the the Loyola Chicago big man. One of the top shop lockers in the country coming over from from the from the Ivy League and he's someone that I think pairing him with Philip Alston is going to do well for both of them because Alston realistically isn't going to be the defensive uh juggernaut that you ha- that you want from him but Coon can be and considering the bigs in the A10 lawyers going to need a big upgrade from what they had last year which was basically next to nothing and then 20 I'm going with Kyle Rose for Fordham. And this is more, not necessarily a stats play, but more of a culture because it's the culture of Fordham that we've seen the past couple of years have sort of made them a threat. And, and Rose exemplifies that. He won one of the top defenders in the league. He, he's not very efficient as a shooter, but I think he'll get a large role in the offense. And he's going to be someone that should absolutely start, get a key role. And I think he can be a double digit scorer. And more importantly, just one of the leaders for the Rams and what is actually a fairly deep backcourt because there's other guards, too. I mean, Antro Tarleton technically is a top return player for them uh, because he was the code because he was basically the point guard for them. So there's a lot of good guards. But I think Rose is going to be the one that if they're good enough to compete for a top six spot, it's going to be because of his play on both ends.
2: All right, Matt, you want to give your your last guy here? Yeah, I will. Real quick, I I did want to hit on a couple players that you both had that I didn't. They were both near misses for me. Uh, First, Darius Maddox for George Mason. Uh, And typically, I am really excited about guys transferring down from a higher level to the A-10. But I think for me, it's just George Mason has so many transfers, and I didn't feel confident picking out the ones that are going to have the biggest impact. And then my 22nd guy actually was Trey Clark of Duquesne. And I I love his defense. I think he's one of the most exciting players to watch. But part of my concern just with Duquesne in general is that they have very, very little guard depth. And we've seen Clark's inconsistency flare up from time to time in the games where he's not playing as well and where he gets into early foul trouble, which has happened many times the Dukes just don't really have an insurance policy on the bench this year to replace him in this game so that's probably the one where he could make me eat my words and have a big all-conference season but he was the first off for me um but number 21 feel like you have to go with a bold pick here and I did I already talked about how I don't like their team very much but I went with the Villanova transfer Angelo Brizzy to the Davidson Wildcats. I do think he is going to be their point guard. And at six foot three, he's going to give Davidson some more length on the perimeter. I think that's going to help defensively just buying into the fact that he, even though he was redshirted that year, he was part of a final four roster and he's been around such a great culture and Davidson, like I know I've talked about before, they're pretty selective with transfers. That That's a, a culture that doesn't turn over their roster that much. And usually when the Wildcats bring in somebody, you can feel confident that they're going to have an impact. So I think the concern with Brizzy is that in two years, he's basically just played less than half a season of college basketball. So it could be time for him to, to grow and adjust to the role of a lot more playing time. But this is more a pick where I think by next season, we could see him as an old conference player or two years from now.
0: All right. My final guy, this should be no surprise to anyone who's really listening to the nitty gritty of this podcast this summer. I'm just in on Joshua Rivera of Fordham. All rookie team guy for Lafayette last year in the Patriot league. And his highlight reel is just filled to the brim with plays that kind of look like a lesser man's Khalid Moore. He's a good rebounder for his size. He's a guy who can attack all over the floor. Okay, ball mover for a big man. I think that this was a very, very, very deliberate pickup for Keith Ergo. He envisions him taking over the Khalid Moore role directly and Well, it's going to be really tough to step into the shoes of what was, and people forget, one of the six best players in the A-10 last year. But I think he's going to make a huge impact right off the bat. And this is a guy that we could be talking about as a superstar two years from now.
1: Well, for first off, some armor mentions I had. Uh, Neil Quinn, I, I, he he was con- in consideration, but I just I just don't want to touch anything Richmond related <laughs> season, so I left them blank. Bro Richardson, I do think he's a breakout candidate, but I feel like he's bet he's going to be higher on next year's list because there's a lot of seniors on Fordham's roster, and I, I think he's someone that that can break out a year from now. And then I was going to go with a, with a St. Joe's player for 21. And the, the obvious answer originally was going to be Cam Brown, because he's a guy that can go for 20-plus any given night. Last minute, though, I, I figured, and this is partly because I, I listened to a three-bit league and other 810-related podcasts, I switched it up. And I'm going to go with a guy who I'm familiar with because he was a former pit target on the recruiting trail, and Chris Sesendoka, the the big man for them, former four-star prospect, didn't play last year, but he's a 7-foot guy with 270 pounds. He's a real physical post player. And if you're St. Joe's, obviously you're going to win most of the backcourt battles, but you're going to have to go up against Darron Holmes. You're going to have to go up against the 20 bigs for Duquesne. You're going to have to go up against Roosevelt Wheeler VCU. You're going to need your frontcourt play to at least hold its own if you're going to be a true contender. And I think Essendoko – even if he's not the most talented, I would argue he's easily going to be one of the most important players in the A-10. And if I'm going to be high on St. Joe's, then I got to be high on him to at least have a sizable impact and at least, and be part of the top 21.
0: So I forgot to throw in my honorable mentions. I had three of them. I already said Khalil Brantley, Charles Pride being the other one. And then my answer for my favorite question to wrap this up here. Who is the one guy that we left off of our list that we are so terrified is going to make us look stupid. And that is without a question, Christ Dessendoko, uh, this guy, like this guy might be a stud immediately. And I probably should have found a way to fit him on the list, but other than your random kind of Doron Holmes level guys, like we just haven't seen freshmen be top 20 players in this conference that often in the last few years. So I left him off, but he's got maybe as good of a chance of being a top 10 guy right off the bat as not being on this list entirely.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good one. I am glad that one of us had a freshman on the list because I think he was the first one to get named tonight. But yeah, the sky is the limit. Um, And I think the exciting thing too, he's going to bring a much more versatile style of play than Educao Bina did for St. Joe's, who's just a pure center, you know, going to stay in the paint and get a bunch of rebounds. Asondego can shoot the ball, just do a lot, of, a lot of different things at his size, which will be impressive. So at the very least, going into the year, he is going to be the most hyped up freshman, I think, by everybody.
1: If, he, if he's a top 10 player, does St. Joe's win the league?
2: I mean, they should. I, I feel like they're going to find a way not to, even if that happens. I, but is he a top ten player
1: because he's a clear all defensive team guy? You don't need offense from him, though. You just need him. Do you just need him to shut down homes when it comes down to those certain matchups? Like but that's I, if, the whole point.
0: Like, I feel like I feel like there could be a universe where St. Joe's maybe has like four top twenty guys, but their defense still sucks. If he can carry them to being an at least average defense, then you're it, then the answer to your question is probably yes.
2: But I, I I have one other answer for for your question. Who's gonna scare us that we all left him off the list? And maybe I'm off on this, I'm not sure, but I kind of feel like if Des Watson just stayed at Davidson, he would have gotten more attention as a big breakout player. And I, I think the fact that he transferred to Loyola, who probably should be better than Davidson this year anyway, but I feel like he just kind of got lost in the shuffle this offseason, but he had a couple really big moments last year and wouldn't be surprised to see him continue to improve. Des Watson's my preseason glue guy of the
0: year. I'm all in. I had him. He made it to like my final 30-ish. I just think with Norris, Alston, and the Delacoon, and the fact that Des Watson really doesn't go around seeking out shots, I think we're going we're gonna to blink at the end of the year, and those who really pay attention to Liola are going to appreciate how great of a season Watson's going to have, and he's going to score like seven and a half points a game. And it's just not going to look pretty from that perspective in any way.
2: All right. Well, I guess my only other final thought, I really hope Jaden House has a big season because I took a big leap of faith on him, putting him in the top 10. And I don't think we heard his name come up again. But overall, I, I do feel like between the three of us, we had some more different lists and a lot more variety than the last few, which kind of speaks to just how open the a 10's going to be this year and how we're going to get a- continue to get a lot of different pre- predictions as we get closer to the season.
0: Yeah, I mean, really the only things that were the same, the Holmes, Reynolds, Shulga, Grant, Bishop group, we all agree that they're among the best of the best and that whatever that next tier down is, Gibson, Jimerson's in it. And other than that, I think it kind of shows how wide open this season's going to be. I and mean, one of those guys we put in that top tier is Max Shulga's. We've never seen play in the A-10. I got to assume he's the highest ranked incoming player we've had in any of these lists. And even Sean Bearstow, kind of the same thing. Top 15 for everybody. In the past few years, none of us were willing to go that all in on a transfer. It was something like what happened with Day Day Grant on last year's list where Tristan breaks him out in thirteenth, And I don't think anyone else even ranked him. That's kind of more of what we were seeing from these incoming guys, but more and more those transfers are going to dictate who wins this league. Also, no on Mahorchich talk from Tristan. I thought we might get something there.
1: Well, it's funny because even though he started at NC state, it wasn't like he's ever been this elite stat guy, even at Illinois state or Utah. So I feel like, Giving him a bump because he comes from an ACC team doesn't necessarily make him an elite guy, and plus he's not fully healthy. So I wouldn't be surprised if if Trey Williams starts day one. Although I will say, no one picking Savrasov. He put up some really nice numbers at Georgia Southern, but I think it speaks to how much depth the front court is, where it almost feels like he won't even get more than twenty-two to twenty-five minutes a game this year, even though he's one of the Top transfers when it just comes to pure stats.
2: Yeah, so that's the problem. Duquesne has like seven bigs who are all going to play like 18 minutes a game. And I just, you guys are in a better position than me to to sort out who's going to break out from that group. But I I just figure by the end of the year, we'll know which ones are producing and who's going to be in the lineup. But I just can't answer that question right now.
1: Well, well speaking of Duquesne, Tyler, did you have any thought about putting Kareem Rozier in there? Oh, he was on the short list.
0: But once again, it's just tough to include what is definitely the third best guard on a team unless I think that they're just clearly the best in the league. I think Kareem Rozier is going to do what needs to be done this year, and I think he is a lock to be on this list next year. But what needs to be done for him, and it's kind of the same thing for Saverstam. i I thought about it, but... How do you get enough minutes when you're sharing the same position with Trey Williams and both drama twins to be able to put up more than maybe like 10 and five a game? Like all of a sudden for the first time in history, Duquesne has too many good guys for like their third and fourth best players to put up big numbers. Oh,
1: one other guy that I was considering and I don't even think he's great, but Tim Dalger might just accidentally put up a ton of stats because he might have to play to five cuz St. Louis has no front court depth. I'm going to assume that uh the Georgetown transfer uh Ezrio is not going to be eligible and I believe one of their newcomers is isn't even practicing right now. So, he might just he might play like 35 minutes a game and average like 14 and 8 just because they need someone to put down there in the front court.
2: Gosh, yeah, I'm trying to think back to last year I feel like between the four of us we named at least five different Billikens across our list and this year it was really just Jimerson in the discussion for the most part but I, I still I mean Meadows as we've mentioned too I the, the roster on paper does not look pretty at all but I have a hard time believing that it's a pillow fight team I just feel like Travis is going to have enough to go 500 somehow, somewhere.
1: Well, Sincere Parker is the one that scares me because he
2: shot
1: at having a role last year, but he was one of the top three or four Juco transfers in that class. Mm -hmm. I think this would be the year if he's legitimately talented enough where he can actually break out and and sort of make us hear words, not putting him into honorable mentions.
0: Only other guy that it's somehow not been said yet I kind of expected one of you to put Chad Venning on your list.
2: Yeah, I was I was thinking of him too. He's he was just really awesome at the
0: end of the year, but
2: yeah, he probably deserves to be in the discussion based on what he did last year, but kind of just feels like he I don't know if he's got like breakout written all over him compared to some of these other guys. He just kind of seems like a steady, like you know what you're gonna get from him this year, and he'll be a, another solid quality A 10 starter.
0: I think Little Bonna X might have said he was going to be their best player this year, oh. but I was too distracted by the "I think you should leave" talk to uh, remember that by this point.
1: It's it's weird because they could have four or five ups. Like no one mentioned Micah Adams Woods, and he was a starter on a Cincinnati team that was top fifty. Like it, there, there, there's so many different ways that St. Bonaventure could go, good or bad. Because Charles Pride may actually come off the bench for them. Which is why I I didn't have him in my list, and plus, you know the Northeast transfer talk. Like he 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 was okay in the America East, but he but he was that de- he definitely took a step down. And the fear is that he'll take another step down on what's already a fairly crowded Bonnie's back.
2: Yeah, it's gonna be a real shame when I pick Charles Pride thirteenth and he ends up not starting and playing two minutes a game because Schmidt's gonna stick to his guys, and if he's not one of them. <laughs> That would be bad for me.
1: All right, we'll
0: close it out there. Thank you to everyone for listening to our Top 21 list. Thank you to Tristan for joining us once again. Uh, Where can everybody find you if they somehow don't know already?
1: Yes, sir. You can find me at Hoopsnut351 on Twitter slash X. You can also follow at rackets for all the latest articles and stuff. And look out uh, in next week or so whenever this comes out because I'll have my own preseason A-10 rankings coming.
0: Yeah, everyone be sure to go take a look at Tristan's great work. Dabbles in the A-10, but really specializes in college basketball in general. And especially if you're looking for some good ACC content, I feel like that's where you shine above all else. But everyone go take a look at Tristan's stuff. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the 3Bid League Podcast. Team previews are upon us. It's almost October, so we'll be starting those up in the next week or 2 I'm not fully sure there, but go back, listen to a bunch of our off-season episodes, Hoops Weiss, Ronald Polite, Kevin Sweeney, a, a dozen fantastic guests, John Rothstein. All that stuff still holds up as the summer comes to a close. So go back, take a listen to those, start getting ready for what is shaping up to be maybe the wildest up-and-down A-10 season even amongst a run of Wild A-10 seasons here coming up soon.